Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. I was almost 18 years old when I heard the Reverend Ned Matthews in Gastonia, North Carolina, preach a sermon. And in many ways, the sermon changed my life, primarily because of the text from which he preached. I was a very young person, very new in the Christian faith, when I heard him bring home to me the words from Hebrews chapter 12, where he read and then he preached on this text that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. May God change our lives today because we're coming into this place and we're submitting our lives to this text, this truth. Would you pray with me, church? Holy Spirit, we pray that you will speak to each one of us with words that are very personal for each one of us so that your Spirit can continue to change our lives. God, we really do want to grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. So speak to us again. Give each one of us ears to hear what you are saying to us right now in these moments. In the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Most of us can run a sprint better than we can run a marathon. At least metaphorically, you're perhaps sitting there thinking that you can't even run a sprint, much less a marathon, and I'm probably there with you. But at least metaphorically, we could run a sprint better than we run a marathon. It's easier to start well, start enthusiastically, start with great energy, than to run well, enthusiastically, with great energy, and to end well, enthusiastically, with great energy. Years ago, I had an old preacher tell me that it's much easier, it's much easier to start things than it is to keep things going. And all of us love to start things. We love to start new things. 
but we don't do a really good job of keeping things going sometimes. That's why our New Year's resolutions are rather frustrating most years because we can start well, but we don't last very long, and we don't run the race well, and we don't end well. That's why I'm saying metaphorically, at least most of us can sprint better than we can run a marathon. But what we're being asked to do in the Christian life is to run a marathon, to start well, to run well, and then to end well. Most of us start well. Do you remember? Do you remember when the faith was new to you? Do you remember, do you remember those exciting early days when the joy of your faith, the joy of relationship with Jesus Christ was so fresh and exciting? Do you remember those early days when for the first time you realized you could live forever because of Jesus? Do you remember how exciting it was when you first realized that you could be clean? You did not have to live with guilt that you could be forgiven by the one who loves us most and whose opinion matters the most, God, and you could be forgiven and start all over again. Do you remember when you first realized that God loves you so much that there's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you less than God loves you right now or to make God love you more than God loves you right now. Can you remember back to those days when it was all so new and exciting and fresh to you? When you were living in the fire and the flame of those initial days or season when you experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Do you remember when? Most of us, we could think back and we can remember some of those earliest days. I remember when, when I really gave my life to Jesus Christ back in my teenage years. And, and I remember Jesus stepping off the pages of Scripture into my life, becoming a real presence in my life. I remember when Jesus ceased just being a concept for me and Jesus became a living person in my life. I remember those early days. I remember so excited about sensing for the first time the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. I remember waking up in the mornings, and as soon as I would open my eyes, I was overwhelmed with excitement because I couldn't wait to get up and get to my Bible and get to prayer and experience the power and the presence of God right there in that moment, and to hear the voice, capital V, from the Scriptures. Most of us can think of a day or a time or a season in our lives when our faith became so real to us. And those were exciting times. But human life, being what human life is, is so much easier to start than it is to keep it up. And human life, being what it is, is so easy to start well, but then life happens, distractions happen, our calendar fills up, and 
all of a sudden the flame begins to weaken in our lives. Part of living the spiritual life is finding those ways in our lives to make sure that we keep the flame burning brightly. That we commit to those things that help us be the people that God wants us to be in Jesus Christ. That we commit to those things that help us not just have fits of starting and stopping, but that will really help us to run the race well and finish well. In the book of Revelation, and by the way, beginning on September the 11th, when we start all of our fall schedule, I'll begin teaching the book of Revelation on Wednesdays, both at, at noon and at 6.45 at night. I'll begin teaching my way through the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3, we find these letters that Jesus Christ sent to some of the churches that existed there in what they called Asia Minor. It's present-day Turkey for us. And the first church that received a letter there in chapter 2 of Revelation was the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a remarkable city in the ancient world. It was the principal city of Asia Minor. It was the, the, the diamond, the premier jewel of the cities there that the Romans ruled and created in Asia Minor. And there was a church in Asia Minor. It was probably by the time they received the letter from the book of Revelation, uh, 20, maybe 30 years old. And when Jesus wrote the letter to the church there in Ephesus, the issue that Jesus was having with the church at Ephesus was, as the letter says, they had lost their first love. They had lost their first love. And what, what the letter that Jesus sent to the church meant by that was the fire and the flame of those early days when they first fell in love with Jesus Christ had diminished. They had lost their first love. It's so easy to start well, but it's hard to continue running the marathon. It's hard to end well. So here in this text, particularly and you've heard it twice now, you're going to hear it again in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. We learned that the, one of the, we, we've learned that, we learned that one of the best things we can do to run the race well and to end well is to pay attention, to remember, and to even see that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. Last week we started looking at chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And chapter 11 the book of Hebrews starts that wonderful verse that E.C. referenced a few moments ago. Defining what faith is for us. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And then throughout chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews we have this remarkable hall of faith where all of these people are mentioned to us to remind us of the ways those people from the Old Testament live the faith, witness to the faith to us. And throughout the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, you, you read about people like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Moses. And then you hear about the people as they pass through the Red Sea. And then 
at verse 32 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, the preacher tries to start wrapping up. The preacher's running out of time. So the preacher says in 1132, what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. That's probably Daniel. Quenched raging fire, that's probably Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. That's the story we get from 1 Maccabees. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death, that's probably Jeremiah. Jeremiah. They were sown in two. That's probably Isaiah. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And the author then says, they were able to do all this by faith. They were able to do all this looking to the promise of God that would be fulfilled at some point in their future. And then the author summarizes this great hall of faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews by saying what we would call the first two verses of chapter 12, but I'm sure you know these numbers are not in the original Greek. So in chapter 12, we, we get the climax really to chapter 11 where the author says, Therefore, therefore, in light of all that he's been saying about all these wonderful people who witnessed to their faith in God, who did all these mighty acts through faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight let us lay aside every weight and thus sin that clings so closely. And let us run the marathon with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race, the marathon that is set before us. There's not a day of my life I don't think about this great cloud of witnesses. For me, this is what motivates me in many ways to keep going. When I enter my study at the Parsonage, I literally can look into the face of, of a painting of Oswald Chambers or John Wesley or St. Benedict or John Rogers or C.S. Lewis. I need to remind myself of this great cloud of witnesses because as I remind myself of these people who have gone before me and stayed true to the faith, it helps me to keep running the marathon. We come into sacred spaces such as this, surrounded with stained glass windows, and we are literally surrounded with the images of thousands of saints who are in this great cloud of witnesses to us. In Hebrews 11, we think about Abel and Enoch. We think about Abraham and Moses. We think about people like Rahab and Samson. And none of these people were perfect. None of these people in all these stained glass windows were perfect. But they were just in the process of overcoming their imperfections through the grace of God that's theirs, theirs in Jesus Christ. So none of these people, none of those people are perfect. You know, Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute, it says it in the text. Samson was one of the 
least smart people in the Hebrew Bible. But all of these people are part of this great cloud of witnesses. And the image here for the author of Hebrews is an image of us running the race in the stadium and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And this great cloud of witnesses should be inspiring us to help us to move on. And we can add to this great cloud of witnesses that the author of Hebrews creates and presents to us from the Old Testament. We can add to it because now we know about Peter and James and John and Andrew. We know about Paul. We know about Chloe and the Marys of the New Testament. We know about Junia. Uh, She was one of those early apostles in the New Testament. We know about Augustine and St. Francis of Assisi and Bernard de Clairvaux and Martin Luther, and certainly we know about John and Charles Wesley, who's now in this great cloud of witnesses. You know, in this room, I'm so blessed by this great cloud of witnesses surrounding me. I get to look to that back stained glass window that most of you don't get to see. I get to see that back stained glass window, and I see people like George Whitfield in that window. I even see Braxton Craven in that window. You may not even know who Braxton Craven is. Braxton Craven was an early Methodist circuit riding preacher who came through this area. And what we remember about Braxton Craven is he founded down here in Trinity what eventually becomes Duke University. He's in our window back there. So we are surrounded in so many ways by a great cloud of witnesses. And this great cloud of witnesses should spur us on to give all that we are and all that we have for the living of our Christian life, this great cloud of witnesses can help us deal with our distractions in life, can help us stay focused in running this marathon race, this race, this life of faith. Recently, I was with a group of some of you in Oxford, England, and if you go to Oxford, it's a wonderful place. It's where Methodism was born, if you go to Oxford, you see a monument there to the Oxford martyrs. And those were three bishops who were burned at the stake in the 16th century because of their convictions concerning Jesus Christ and the Word of God. One of those was Bishop Ridley. One of those was Bishop Latimer. As they were being burned at the stake there because of their faith, Bishop Latimer looked at Bishop Ridley and said, Be of good cheer. Can you imagine saying that to someone who's being burned at the stake? He said, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Today we light a flame in England that no one will be able to put out. That was 1555. To the south of Oxford in that same year, 1555, on February the 4th, uh, at a place called Smithfields outside of London, There was another person who was burned at the stake for his Christian faith and his convictions about the Bible. His name was John Rogers. John was one of my ancestors. He was a Cambridge scholar, helped translate what was called the Matthew Bible. He was one of the first people to put the Bible into the language of the people, and he paid for that with his life. One of the the prints that I look at in my study is a print of John Rogers. I actually have in my Bible before me a print of John Rogers being burned at the stake there in Smithfields because of his convictions concerning Jesus Christ and his conviction that all of us, people like you and me, would be able to read the Bible in our own language as John Rogers was being burned at the stake there on February the 4th, 15, 
55, he said, That which I have preached, I seal with my blood. So we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And when you look at this great cloud of witnesses, when you think about this great cloud of witnesses, remember some of those people who are in the great cloud of witnesses that are known, at least in this room, that are known perhaps to you and to you alone. They're also in that great cloud of witnesses. I think about my grandmothers, Alice Fitzgerald Nicholson, and Elba Owens Patterson. They're in that great cloud of witnesses. They were so encouraging to me in my early life, in beginning and running the race. I know they're in that great cloud of witnesses, and I remember that great cloud of witnesses. You know, usually when I look at this text in the book of Hebrews and talk about this great cloud of witnesses, the question that always comes to me is this. Can that great cloud of witnesses see us today? That sort of misses the point. The great cloud that the author's talking about are those witnesses to the faith from the Hebrew Bible. But we know that the great cloud of witnesses is being continually added to as people pass from this world into the world to come. Can they see us? Can my grandmother Nicholson, my grandmother Patterson see us? Well, the text really doesn't address that, but that won't stop me from giving you my opinion. They certainly can't see our failures. They certainly can't see our brokenness. They certainly cannot see anything that would diminish the bliss of heaven. But I wonder, I wonder, can they see our victories? Can they see us when we run the race well? Can they see us when we're getting it right? Can they see us when we are living faithfully for Jesus Christ and faithful witness to our faith? I'm not so sure they can't see that because I think that would add to their bliss on the other side. So who knows? Maybe they can see us running the race well. If it's not enough to look at the great cloud of witnesses and run well, the author goes on to say, let us also consider how, he he goes on to say, let us also set, set our eyes looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at the witnesses. Look at Jesus. And remember the joy that's set before us. May I pray with you? God, we're here this morning because we want to run the race well. We want to start strongly. We want to end strongly. We want to be birthed in faith. We want to live in faith. And we want to die in faith as a witness to Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. May we never forget that great cloud of witnesses. And we pray, God, that we'll be able to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Not on the other competitors in our race, but fix our eyes on Jesus Christ so that we may run well. And may we always remember the joy set before us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.